you're listening to The Be Hooked Podcast, episode 140 with Brittany. Welcome to episode 140 of the Be Hooked podcast. I'm your host, Brittany. If you're brand new to the show, welcome. It's a joy to have you here. If you are a lover of yarn and crochet and knitting and everything that comes with that, you're in the right place. And if you've been around here for a while, well, hey there, my friend. I'm so glad you're joining me today, and I think you'll really love today's episode. Now, this was one of those chats where it was just like two friends talking about the thing they love. So whether you're a designer, a maker, a blogger, or none of those things, just somebody who really enjoys crochet, I know you'll find something valuable in today's show. So I had the chance to chat with Katie from Thorsby Cottage. I'll have all of her information in the show notes, by the way, so you can connect with her after hearing the episode. But I found her to be incredibly inspiring because not only is she a very talented designer, but she's also somebody who has to be incredibly resourceful with finding the tools, the yarn that she needs for her projects and her designs. So we talk quite a bit about that, her story, how she got into crochet, and then we sort of geek out a little bit about granny squares and the types of projects that we like to create with them. So it really is just a fun conversation between two people who love crochet and who love yarn, and I'm so glad that you get to be a little fly on the wall to hearing that chat. So before we get to it, there are a couple of resources that Katie mentions. She's got a couple of books coming up here recently featuring granny squares, and so I will have that information in the show notes page for this episode. You can find that at behooked.com slash 140. And let's just get to it, shall we? Here's Katie from Thorsby Cottage. Katie, welcome to the Be Hooked podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. It is a wonderful pleasure, right? I am so excited about this conversation because I know we'll get into some things that is a real struggle for a lot of people. There are certainly listeners outside the U.S. who I'm sure are going through some of this themselves. And I think you're sort of like a, a great shining light in the community. And I'm just really glad to share some of the stuff that you have going on and some of the solutions that you have to some of the, the problems and struggles that you've had recently. And I am just excited about this. Let's start off, though, with a little bit about you. I would love to give people a chance just to hear how you got into crochet. Wow. So um, <laughs> I learned how to crochet when I was about 12 um, during a craft class that we had at school. And I'd made <clears throat> one project. It was a little granny square knee blanket. And that was all that I did. And I put down my, I only had one crochet hook at the time. And I put it down and carried on with my life. And then took on a very non-straight career path, I suppose. I know I know that you've got a background in science as well, which is really cool. It's a lovely point to connect on. Yeah. I And I did a master's in, in science, studied for seven years, got to the end of my seven years of study, 
and then went into the working world and worked completely unrelated to the science degree that I studied. I was in software development. And at that time, fell pregnant with my son and decided, and I think this this origin story is probably similar to a lot of the other designers that um, are out there, but wanted to make something for my son. And I've always been someone who's enjoyed making things, whether it's making and baking and cooking in the kitchen or painting something or in this case, crocheting. And yeah, so I picked up my my hook, my one little hook, <laughs> and delved into the world of amigurumi and made some little stuffed toys for my son. And yeah, so that's how I got back into crocheting. And that's how Thorsby Cottage was, was born. Wonderful. So how long ago was that? That was, so my son was born in 2016 and I started probably about six months before he was born. So probably end of 2015, but Thorsby Cottage probably started in 2016. Gotcha. Okay. So there was quite a bit of a break between when you first learned and when you sort of picked it back up again. Was it difficult to sort of relearn or was it like riding a bike and you just picked it up and you knew exactly what to do? A bit of both, actually. So um, we've got some knitters in the family, but no one who crochets. So I, you know, I don't have a grandparent or anything like that who I could ask to teach me. My mum is really, really crafty and she does all sorts of amazing things like jewelry design and and painting, but fiber arts, (laughs) she does not do. So I had no one that I could really ask. Um, uh, Thank goodness for YouTube because, man, I I learned a lot by just watching tutorials and reading blog posts and things like that. So, yeah, that helped because I I think when I at school, I hadn't learned how to do single crochet. I had just done very, very standard chain stitch and double, double crochet and granny squares. So yeah, yeah. That's it took really... a bit of time to get back into it. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So tell me about this blanket. What did it look like? Was it a granny square blanket or was it sort of like rose back and forth? So it was red, white, and blue, just simple, simple granny squares that probably about four or five rounds with each square. And <clears throat> And they were joined together very haphazardly. I don't. I sadly don't have the blanket anymore. We used it for a puppy, and then it sort of. I think it got <laughs> extra holy and got shipped off to to Goodwill or to the garbage if it wasn't suitable for Goodwill. So, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I love to hear about some of those early projects, and because I feel like they do tell quite a bit of a story. So this is they absolutely do. Yeah, yeah. Especially like a, a granny square blanket. I think there's something really that really draws us in with a granny square blanket. It's sort of like I don't almost like an icon for crochet. When when somebody who doesn't crochet thinks about crochet, I feel like they picture a granny square blanket that was in their family at some point. And and it's just really cool that we can continue to keep that tradition going. And uh, even though you don't have that blanket anymore, I'm sure you have several that are still within your family and that you can pass on. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely something very iconic about the granny square. Um, although my, my first blanket really, it was full of holes that weren't supposed to be there with drop, you know, 
bad stitches and and poor joining and and all that so all I can say is I've learned a lot and I wish that I had kept it so that I could show people you know your first granny square versus what you can do now yes me too there are so many projects that I started like when I first learned and they just looked terrible and the perfectionist in me didn't keep a lot of those I do have a couple the first time I ever tried to make anything other than just like a washcloth or a basic square, I wanted a pair of boot cuffs. And that was a really big challenge for me because I was not only trying new stitches, but I was going into the world of shaping. And I crocheted these in the round, like a, like a round tube kind of situation. So the join is all messy and they weren't nearly big enough because there's no stretch to them. I used a stitch that was, well, I guess it was really more of a yarn hook combination, but it just didn't have any stretch to it. So I wasn't even able to wear them. And oh they're kind of a train wreck. They were like this weird orange color because I had some yarn left over from a wreath that I made, like a fall wreath that I wrapped with this yarn. So I probably wouldn't have had an outfit to wear them with anyways, <laughs> but I kept this wonky little boot cuff and I'm going to have to share a picture of it because it is so yes, not are. my best work. <laughs> <laughs> but I sort of cherish it because I can look back and see the progress, see where I came. And I think that's so important for a lot of people, especially when you're first getting into the craft, you look at your work and if you're anything like me, you you might be a little disgusted and say, oh, this is awful. I'm so bad at this. But it's really just part of the learning process. And you're not bad at it. You're just figuring it out. Absolutely. And you've got to start somewhere. I think I can't remember who wrote the book or who talks about it. But there's that whole concept about 10,000 hours that you need to put into something to master a craft, um, whether it's playing the piano or you know, whatever. And I think, I think so often people, particularly with Instagram, they, they look at all these beautifully curated pictures and go, Oh, I don't know that I could ever do that. And there's such a big part of me that wants to just shout out and say, no, you can. Everybody starts somewhere. Everybody starts with that awkward long chain um, where all the loops are uneven and, you know, you, you got to start somewhere. It's baby steps. So Exactly. Yeah. yeah, just finding the finding the courage, I guess, to sort of power through that and maybe maybe hiding those projects that you're not super proud of right now, <laughs> then you can go yeah. back to them later and say, "Yep. They they were right." Not that we're trying to be right, but you know, we've sort of lived that. We understand and that is certainly the case I know for me, for you, and for a lot of other people. Yeah. Now, you said Thursby Cottage started in around 2016. I would love to know mm -hmm. a little bit about that because a lot of times our ideas for starting things like this, they change, they evolve. Like for Be Hooked Crochet, for example, it started out as an Etsy shop and it is no longer an Etsy shop, although I'm pretty sure you could if you tried, I'm pretty sure you could find the shop is, is still there. I don't think it was <laughs> properly shut down, but it is so not like that today. It's completely different. And I'm just interested to hear your story and how that started, what it, what you thought it would be and, and how that compares to what it is today. Yeah. So I also started out with an Etsy shop 
after I designed those first few toys that I was talking about for my son, a friend of mine saw them and she said to me, well, why don't you start an Etsy shop? She had one selling digital illustrations. And to be honest, I'd never heard of, of Etsy. I didn't know what it was. I and if I had heard of it, it was just for people in America to buy stuff. And so it wasn't relevant to me. Um, and I realized that we could actually sell something digitally. Um, and so I loaded up my, I think I had probably two patterns to start off with um, and decided to start a blog at the same time. And surprising to me, people liked what I put forward and people like my designs and um, were showing a huge amount of support. So it kind of blossomed from there. I was also a bit late to the Instagram game. I think I, I also only joined properly 2016, end of 2017, maybe even slightly later than that. And suddenly just realized that there is this massive community of people around the world who have similar interests to me. Um, I was a bit of an outlier in my social group. Everyone would kind of refer to me as the granny because I would sit and, and work with Jan. And it was just so encouraging and exciting to see this massive community of people who were all knitting and crocheting and, and creating and making. And so that really inspired me to just push forward with Thorsby Cottage um, because there's just this international audience and this inter international community. So that's yeah that's kind of where it's going and um it's amazing just with the interwebs um the, the opportunities that come around so um commissions for magazines that are international um uh, for books for <clears throat> all sorts of things for designs it's really very exciting so um i don't know that i have a a firm plan going forward about how Thorsby Cottage will be, you know, in the next five years. I think it's already, my mind has been blown about where it's gone to now. So we, we, we take it, we take it one step at a time. <laughs> yeah, I am all for that. Now I love to plan and I will do anything and everything to map out the perfect day, the perfect week, the perfect month and year. And what I find is that although it is important to have that for me, set forward just so I have an idea of where I want to go, it's always a little bit different than I imagine. And that's something yeah. I've certainly learned this year, probably more than any year so far, the importance of being flexible yeah. and letting your blog, your business, your Etsy shop, whatever it be, letting that sort of guide the way in a sense, I know for me, us not having an Etsy shop anymore, I am primarily driven by the needs of the people who are in my community. I know that my place is really to help people improve their skills or to learn them. And that's something I'm really passionate about. But really, they help guide the way and, and give me feedback and tell me what it is they need and what they want from me. And that's a really great feeling. But with that comes the need for flexibility. And I think that's really important for, for anybody who's maybe starting a blog or a maker business and maybe they don't have an idea for it. I think it's okay to not have a grand plan mapped yeah. out. But 
would you say that it's it's about finding the happy medium between what makes you happy and what makes your community happy? Uh, absolutely. So I, <laughs> as, a, as a school kid um, and, and as an adult as well, I'm very, uh, I don't break the rules. I'm very law-abiding. I, um, at school, I never got into detention. I never got into trouble. I'm goody two-shoes. But when it comes to my business, I've broken quite a few rules that all the sort of big businessy people say that you should do. So, for example, Instagram. Everyone says you've got to post however many times a day, a week or whatever, at this time, at that time. And I have found that if I let my business take over me and run me, that it sucks the joy out of what I'm doing. And so my mom always says to me, don't let anything or anyone steal your joy. And and so when I find I'm in a place where I feel pressured, just self-imposed pressure uh, from uh, of what I should be designing next and how often I should be putting out blog posts or, or Instagram posts or whatever, I take a step back and go, okay, hang on. Why, why am I doing Thorsby Cottage? I'm doing it because it's a place for me to express myself and it's a place that I find tremendous joy. And so I have to make sure to put measures in place that my, the thing that I'm trying to create joy from doesn't steal my joy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And I, I know I, I completely understand that is a balancing act to Absolutely. And do you find yourself uh, I, I love routines and I really like that. I don't even know the right word. I, I really like having a plan and having all of that stuff in, in place and having a routine. But every now and then I have to shake that up a little bit. Do you ever get bored or feel a little bit stale with the with the things that you're doing? And this can happen a lot with projects. Like say you start a project, it's a bigger one, and you were really excited about it at first. And then you're not so excited after several hours, maybe halfway through. And certainly for, for aspects of, of a, a blog or a business, you make commitments to do certain things and you're really fired up about it. And eventually you sort of lose steam a little bit. And I feel like that is such a natural part of the process. And knowing what you just said, having the ability to check back in with yourself and check back in with, with that one main reason that you started your business or your project, I think that's really important to, to highlight and to say that that's such a natural part of the creating process. Yeah, absolutely. And just just to clarify, it's not like every day that I work on my business is sunshine and roses. There are certainly days of frustration and days where I question <clears throat> my decisions or question why I'm doing you know this particular project or whatever. And but as you say, to have that the reason why I'm I'm doing it as the as the core of it to come back to that and, and that be the, the thing that keeps me grounded in my business. That's, that's really important to me. Um, and also just to add, I'm very fortunate to have a very supportive family and a supportive husband. Um, so it's not like I, I, I have to be burning the midnight oil to put 
put food on the table because I do understand that for many people their businesses are their entire livelihood um, and I understand that with that comes you know different decisions and um, you, you can't just be all rainbows and unicorns yeah. when you try to run a business like that so I do completely respect that. For sure yes I, I think that it's it's very fortunate to be in this position, you and I, where we can say that we're, we're business owners, we get to wake up every day and, and do what we love. And I, I certainly would never want to take any of that for granted because I sit back and I think if I had to go back into the workforce, I'm pretty sure I would be unemployable. <laughs> After working for myself for a couple of years, I just, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> Now, I think you have a really interesting twist here in the community, and I want to touch on that just a little bit. Now, you are located outside the U.S., and with that comes a different struggle that certainly I don't always think about, or somebody here in the States might not be aware of, but certainly the listeners who are outside the U.S. knows exactly how this feels. And I want to get your perspective, some of your solutions to these problems. And that is having access to like the tools that we need to do what we love here in the States. We have really wonderful places that, like craft stores where we can go and there is a giant aisle of yarn and, and we're really so fortunate to be able to do that. And from what I have heard from others in the community, that's certainly not the case everywhere else. So how have you found ways to still have access to yarns and tools that you're really excited to work with, maybe not having them so easily available to you? So yeah, I'm based in Cape Town, South Africa, uh, which is literally the southern tip of, of Africa. So we're miles away from anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we don't have, um, as you say, we don't have big craft department stores. I've been very fortunate enough to travel quite a bit. So I've been to the States several times. I've been to, to Europe and um, Australia. And the first time I set foot in a Michael's, my head nearly exploded. <laughs> I've never seen, so, you guys have aisles and aisles of yarn that, you know, it changes every um, few months. You get different brands in and um you don't just have three selections of scissors, you can choose from 20. And it's just, yeah. it's really incredible. It's really fantastic. Um, so yeah, so we don't really have that here. We have a couple of brick and mortar shops that are specialized when it comes to yarn. So that's great. So we can go in and touch and feel and, and choose our colors or our fiber type. Then a lot of online shops are springing up. Unfortunately for me and others living in South Africa, our postal service is not great. So the option to buy yarn from overseas is really not very practical. It's The yarn takes a, a long time to arrive. I saw someone saying, oh, they'd ordered from Amazon and it took a whole week to arrive and they were complaining and I'm thinking, jeepers, <laughs> for me it takes three months if I'm lucky. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I have tried that once or twice. I've ordered a couple of things of Amazon and, you know, they were very specialized. Um, so it was like some clover 
uh, hooks, which I got, which we can actually get now here too, which are quite expensive. It was worth the wait, <laughs> but it did take a long time. So, yeah, so that can be really frustrating. Um, you know, you see other designers putting out amazing projects using Red Heart or Lion Brand or Caron, and I just, we can't get those yarns here. So, for example, a few years ago when there was all the planned pooling craze and everyone was using all the variegated red heart yarns mm -hmm. we just don't have them here so we couldn't really I mean I know we can apply the same principles using the variegated yarn that we get here but if you wanted to replicate someone else's if you wanted to do a project using a specific red heart yarn it's it's not that simple so how I've got around that is when I've traveled um, or when I have family or friends traveling I usually get them to bring a skein or two back here just as a reference point so that I can touch, you know, and feel and, and see what it's like and compare it to a local equivalent. Um, because as a designer, I need to be able to recommend yarn to people who who are doing my patterns. Um, I often get requests for what yarn people should use and I need to be able to, to give someone a, a a recommendation based on where they're located we do also have amazing local yarn we really do we've got lots of indie dyers who are popping up and lots of hand dyes that are available internationally as well so so i collaborate with those with those dyers which is really really nice yeah i think that's really resourceful although you're putting a lot of time and effort into a project and having that written up exactly the way it needs to be so anyone can follow it. A big, big part of designing is using a yarn that someone has access to that is easily, that's easy to find in, in different locations or maybe easy to order in locations where you can't just go walk into a store. Do you have people in your audience who maybe get a pattern from you and say, I, I don't have access to this yarn? Or are you providing like a substitution option for them saying, this is what I used and this is where you can potentially get it. But if you can't, this is a good alternative. Yeah. So for most of my patterns, I include the bigger brand names that are more readily available um, worldwide. So for example, if I use a local brand of cotton, for my amigurumi, I will color match and weight match to something that's very similar that will turn out absolutely fine in another brand of yarn. So for example, paint box yarns, which incidentally, they don't ship to South Africa, which is heartbreaking to me oh. because for amigurumi, they're amazing. So yeah, so before I even start out a pattern, I make sure that the yarn that I'm using can be easily substituted and I'll make a note of that. Sometimes what I'll even do is actually just design with my local yarn and then I won't even include it because if it's something that no one else can get hold of unless you're in South Africa, there's kind of no point. So I'll I'll reference an equivalent yarn that that is available to most of my audience. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's really, really smart. And I think it's a great thing to offer for somebody who is, like I said, getting your patterns and, and wanting to recreate those. It's also a fun challenge as a designer, 
because although the yarns are like a worsted weight yarn, you can use any type of worsted weight yarn for a lot of different projects, but there are little subtle differences between them. Like yeah. maybe one is just slightly thicker than the other one, or, or maybe it wears a little bit different and that sort of thing. But it sounds like what you were able to do is just really take a mental note or maybe even like physical notes where you're getting some of these yarns in your hands. You can see them and feel them and work with them and know how they substitute. I think that's really resourceful to be able to have that at your disposal so that you can make confident substitutions. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not it's not just down to the yarn that, that I use. So for example, amigurumi eyes are very hard to find here. We can't just walk into a store and buy any. And even many of the brick and mortar and online stores just don't sell the little safety eyes. So I, I've, I've ordered from online from overseas and had people bring them for me, uh, bring them to me from overseas. So, so that I can use them. But I, I also, I have my precious little stash that I don't want to, I don't want to use up. So I've had to work on some other techniques for how to add features to, you know, using embroidery and whatnot um, to add features to my amigurumi so that, so that they can still, I can still, you know, have a pattern for people um, and have the option to use amigurumi eyes if they have available, but it doesn't exclude people who perhaps don't have access to them. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not sure if we have any listeners who are located in South Africa. I think it would be so cool to to know that. But just in case we do, can you share some of the yarns, like some of your go-to yarns that you like to use? That way, if somebody is in the area and they do have access to it, they know what might be really great to substitute for, for something that we might write a pattern for a lot here in the States, like your, your red hearts, your lion brands, your yarn inspirations types of yarns. Yeah. So, uh, definitely for an acrylic yarn, we've got a brand, a lovely local brand called L and they, they also do some cottons as well, but they do a really, uh, lovely range called L pure gold, which, um, that I use for a lot of my toys. And then for cotton, my all-time favorite is a brand called Nurturing Fibers. And they're actually available internationally too, even though they're, they're based in Cape Town or just outside of Cape Town. Um, it's all hand-dyed, but it's really, really beautiful and high, high quality. Like I said, I've been very fortunate to travel and I've got my little collection of, of skeins from all over the world. And Nurturing fibers is one that I always come back to. They've got a, they've got a cotton. They do a cotton and bamboo blend, um, several different blends in different weights. They've also got uh, merino, a little bit of mohair. So if you're into the, the indie dyed high end yarns, those are fantastic too. Yeah, and then lots of other indie dyers, but that's slightly different. That's not, I suppose, that's not the same as the your big commercial batched dyed yarns but um yeah so we can we do get some international yarns here so i've seen stylecraft i don't know if you get stylecraft in america or if it's from europe i I can't recall i know we can Um, order it here i i don't know of a store at least in my area where i can walk in and buy it yeah so i think for me i've just got used to the fact that most of my yarn i order online locally so generally how it works is we've got somebody here in the country 
who is the distributor for a specific yarn if they have rights to distribute an international yarn. So, for example, I'm going to say it wrong now, but uh, Skipiers, the cotton. Yes, I know exactly who you're talking about, (laughs) and I have no clue how to pronounce it either. I'm I'm pretty sure it's it's Skipiers. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put it in the show notes so you can reference it. I I would not do it justice trying to say the name, but I do know what you're talking about. Their stuff is incredible. Yeah. So we have one person in the country who is the sole distributor in South Africa for that yarn. So I can't walk into a shop because it's not located in my city. I can't walk into a shop and ask to see their yarn. I have to order it online. And so I guess I'm kind of used to just taking a little leap of faith every time I have an online order that the yarn is not going to be totally off what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, there's a lot of important lessons there too. I I know a lot of questions come in and they're like, do you have tips for ordering yarn online? It always tends to look different. And I've shared some of my tips here, I think even on the podcast, for how I sort of navigate ordering yarn online with not being able to see it and feel it, especially for a new yarn. But I would love to get your tips as well, because I know that it's a struggle that a lot of us go through. Yeah. So I think the one that I always seem to, where I always trip up is with the the weight of the ball. So whether it's a, or or the skein, so whether it's a 50 gram or 25 gram or a hundred gram skein, um, if you don't have a mental picture of how big or small that is, (laughs) you can do like I have and order what you think are these huge balls of wool or yarn and they arrive and they're a lot, lot smaller than you expect, you know, like bonbon size rather than, than bigger. So I think it's helpful to find a local yarn shop, just even just to see what does a hundred grams of a worsted weight acrylic look like so that you, you have not even necessarily with the colors, but just, how big is it in your hands uh-huh. <laughs> so that you, you don't have a, um, an unreasonable expectation of what's going to arrive in the post. I've also found it's really helpful to, so say I know I want to order this, I don't know, co- cotton and it's in a pink, whatever the name is, pink blush, let's call it. <clears throat> I, I like to go onto Ravelry or any of these other um I suppose you could look on Facebook as well and see if anyone else has done a project in using that same yarn and in that same color. And usually there are pictures. So I know on Ravelry, they, there are pictures of people's finished objects that can be linked with a specific yarn. Um, and sometimes people on Facebook groups will share pictures as well. And it's just helpful to compare the picture that you see on your screen for the shop that you're buying from versus the pictures that other people have taken. And also different screens can make things look different. (laughs) So I always look at my phone, I look at my computer screen, I look on someone else's screen and then make a decision so that I kind of know what kind of range to expect. Yes, I think that is really important too. And I talked a little bit about that because I have some settings on my computer screens here just because I'm looking at them all day. They're sort of like they're like a low low blue light is actually like what it says printed on there and that has got me into a couple of sticky situations where I ordered yarn for an entire project and one of the shades was basically the same as one of the other ones I was looking for like an ombre so it was a step down from 
like a dark gray to a medium gray to a light gray to like a really pale gray. But the light and the pale or what I thought were light and pale were almost identical. It was more in like the the warmth of them. One was kind of a cooler and one was a little bit warmer. And I was so lucky because that project turned out amazing, but I had to completely change my idea for that project because I wanted it to be a blanket where it was an ombre, where it kind of faded from one to another and it had hints of color in there. But I couldn't do that because I didn't have an ombre. And it was it actually turned out way way better than i than i had originally thought it would so i'm so happy in that but yes your screens can play a big role and those uh those nighttime filters that you get on your uh, phone yes. at night yes. i know for me when i'm doing my yarn shopping it tends to be on like amazon at night and my amber filter is on and that totally changes the look of it too Oh, absolutely. I find what also helps is that sometimes the the yarn website, so regardless of whether you're ordering off Amazon or not, say you're ordering line brand, <clears throat> a lot of the websites will have their own projects using their own yarn. And sometimes, if you're lucky, the, the colors that you want to use can be used in a project that's on their website. And I find that's quite helpful. And also to see the yarn worked up and actually on a person or in a finished object I find that really helpful too. Yeah, especially for like printed yarns or yarns that have really, really short color transitions that almost look more like mosaic. It's really hard to know what that's going to look like worked up because you don't really have a feel for how long those color transitions are. If it's a really bolder print where it's the, the color transitions are maybe an inch or so, you might be able to see that in the photo. But if it's not, if it's a little bit longer than that like long enough to not be able to see it in the photo it might turn out completely different than what you expected and then too those yarns look different for different widths of projects so let's say yeah. you get a yarn that has a longer color transition and you're using it for a scarf that's maybe eight inches wide you might actually get defined stripes for that but then let's say you want to use that same yarn for something like a cardigan where you're using the same yarn, maybe even the same stitch pattern, but you're stretching it out over a wider width, that might completely change the striping pattern. And so maybe instead of it being a nice clean transition on the edge of your work, which if you're that happens sometimes. Sometimes you get lucky and it works yeah. out that way. But let's say you got lucky in your scarf and you got these perfect stripes. Applying that to a wider project, you might have a complete, well, you probably will have a completely different look. Absolutely. I can't tell you the number of times I've, particularly with variegated yarn, where I've bought a skein and because it looks pretty in the skein or in the cake. And then when I've worked it up, it's been oh, not quite what I had expected. But that's part of the journey, and I think that's totally okay. And, um, yeah, I, we, I roll with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned a couple of other things I want to touch on because I know this is another area where we struggle. You said you have some, like, really precious yarns that you have gotten from 
different countries that, you know, it wasn't easy for you to acquire. So you have this, this special stash of yarn. How do you decide what to use that yarn for? Oh, that is hard. So to be honest, quite a lot of it just gets squirreled away in various parts of the house because I'm kind of waiting for the perfect project. And, and I, I think quite late in the crochet design and uh, in my crochet design journey, did I realize that for many projects, you need more than one skein. So it's no good having just one skein of this beautiful variegated Caron what what. Um, you, you need more than one if you're going to actually <laughs> make anything that you can wear. And dye lots is another thing. You need to have things from the same dye lot if, if you want them to to blend in nicely together. So yeah, I think I like to have quite a large selection of yarn to choose from because then I can I can pick and choose based on the inspiration rather than the other way around. Does that make sense? So like yeah. I go, oh, I want to make a an amigurumi, I don't know, rainbow. If I've got all those colors, I can go and pick them out of, the, of my stash rather than now having to go and buy specifically for that project. Not to say that I don't love buying new yarn. I think <laughs> that's a hobby on its own, right? It is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I probably need to work a bit harder at using up my stash, basically. <laughs> well, it's really tough. I have so many skeins of yarn, too. And, and for me, those special hanks or skeins or whatever they are, they are the yarns that I don't have easy access to as well. Yeah. Like some yarns that are indie dyed yarn or something that I found at a local yarn shop. I really, really treasure those and I have to wait for like the right project. So typically if I only have one of those by default, it will become some kind of hat for me to wear because that's about the right amount. If I have two, I might do a scarf or something like that because these are things that I know I will wear. I wear a lot of hats and scarves in the winter and those are kind of my go-to projects or like maybe even a cowl or something like that. But I do have several hanks sort of stashed away that are <laughs> waiting for the right pattern, the right project, and just sort of the right frame of mind. I, I feel like when you're creating a project on that level versus maybe a designer level, and I'm sure other designers can relate to this, it's different when you're making something for yourself. Yeah. It, it feels more special almost because it, it, it doesn't always happen. I know for me, I don't always make things for myself. I, I really like to make projects that appeal to the people who are interested in, in getting patterns for me. And that's something I'm working through. I'm certainly trying to be a lot more intentional with the projects that I choose so that I'm creating things that make me happy, that I, I really enjoy using and wearing, but that also appeal to the people who are interested in, in getting my patterns. So when I'm Absolutely. using one of these special hanks of yarns, I typically am not writing a pattern. It, it's almost for me like I'm sinking back into, or not sinking, but just sort of settling back into my hobby. Absolutely. It's the, it's the stuff you do outside of work hours. Yes, <clears throat> for sure. You at least have, you at least have snow. I mean, we don't, we don't, it doesn't really get cold enough here for us to make lots of hats. So I've done a couple of 
baby hats because babies always need hats. But it doesn't snow here, at least not in Cape Town. And so I tend to use up my smaller skeins for amigurumi or maybe granny squares or composite projects where you can you can do a, a single component and then join it together somehow. But yeah, to be honest, I haven't had time to. I, I, I want to be in the right brain space to sit down and do something special with my special skeins. And it's it's been a whirlwind <laughs> three years with Falsley yeah. Cottage. So so I haven't had a chance yet. Well, I can totally relate. And I think I think the tip of of using granny squares is a good one because I'm kind of taking it back to what we talked about at the beginning. There's really just something special about a granny square and that it's it can become so many different things. So let's say you want to sit down and you're watching a TV show. You have some mindless crochet time, we'll say, where you don't really have to think too much about it. Getting into like a granny square groove where you're just making squares, I think that's a really great way to occupy your hands in a way that can later become something. I talked to someone else here on the show before, and that was what she liked to create. She loved to crochet granny squares, and she didn't always have a project in mind for them, but they always ended up becoming something. And so anytime she had a birthday or a gift that she wanted to give for somebody, she would sort of dip into her granny squares dash and join it into something amazing. And it was sort of like a time saver. I know you've done some some really interesting granny squares. I I saw the little bag, like the little clutch sort of thing on your Instagram page. And that's so beautiful. And I want to highlight that a little bit because a granny square, although there is a traditional granny square and what we might think of, that word or that term is used for pretty much any type of squared motif. So yours, for example, has like a, like a flower pattern in it. Yeah. So I, the granny square really is so versatile. I know that there might be some purists out there who say that some of the squares that people are calling granny squares aren't technically granny squares and perhaps on a technical level, they're not, but an Afghan block, I suppose you could call it doesn't just have to be used in a blanket. I mean, I know that's where a lot of people will use their squares, but I joined a Cal last year, beginning of this year, and people were working on different squares. And at the end, the idea was to take the squares that you'd made and put them into various projects. And then everybody shared the pictures of their projects. And it is absolutely incredible what you can do with a simple square shape so as you said like with the little um, flower clutch bag thing those were tiny little squares they're a couple of centimeters by you know probably about five centimeters I don't know what that is in inches but five centimeters by five centimeters and joined them all together made a little clutch bag I've seen other people who do really intricate and delicate beautiful granny squares that then instead of turning it into a wearable or a bag or something like that. They actually block it really nicely and put it into a shadow box, you know, those uh, frames. And then frame that and maybe put it in a nursery or in an office space or something because that's a lot of hard work that you've gone to with all those intricate stitches. Um, Some other things I've seen which are really clever are things like um, if you take your square and you fold it, Um, So if you've got the wrong side facing you and then you fold the corners towards the middle and you stitch up 
almost like an envelope. So you can make an envelope. Uh-huh. That's really clever. I've seen people make wall hangings. So yeah, I think the, the granny square really is, is amazing. And it, and, and you've got designs out there that are very old fashioned and, and vintage right through to some really modern, clean, you know, very structured looking squares that you wouldn't, if you did to me five years ago, that's a crocheted granny square, I would have gone, oh, that does, you know, that, that doesn't make me think of crochet. Crochet is what old people do. <laughs> and it's not at all. It's totally modern and, um, and fashionable. And yeah, so that, I get quite excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Do you find yourself going to granny square projects with some of these, some of these yarns maybe where you only have one skein because I mean, yeah, you can't make like a blanket or something like that, but you can use just what little yarn you have there to create multiple squares that can become something more. Absolutely. So in fact, that little bag that you're talking about, the flower one, that I had just a few skeins of, now I have to say the word again, skip years, cotton, and not enough to make anything much larger than that bag really and so it was a great little stash buster because I could use up those skeins all those little balls and actually come out with a, a lovely project at the end of it so I, I really enjoy it I, I I gotta say I'm not one of those people that can sit with a big project for too long I get I need to move on to the next thing or I, I get bored of it so I really enjoy doing some of the smaller, more detailed style projects. And that's great when you don't have access to a huge amount of yarn because, you know, you only need a little bit to get a square done. So that works well. Definitely. I think that's a great tip there too. I know I'm the same way. Well, I I can sit with a big project a couple times a year. Like I'm usually good for one or two blankets per year. And I typically have to sort of feel myself through that because I do tend to lose steam (laughs) a little bit midway. But having a smaller project, so I have that quick win, I have to put those in very often or very frequently. Sometimes I'll even take a break from the big project and finish something small just so I feel like I have finished something, you know? Yes, I hear you. (laughs) And I think I think Granny Square projects are great for that too. It's been a little while, to be honest, since I have made a Granny Square project, but probably my most favorite pattern that I did was a like a tote purse sort of thing. It was bigger than than like the clutch that you have on your your Instagram page. It was more of like a like a full size purse, and okay. it was so much fun. I think and my memory is not wonderful but I think there was around 20 or 22 squares that were about four or five inches I think they were five five by five actually that to this day is is still my favorite granny square project I like to do home decor items too I've been thinking about doing placemats with with different squares put together I think that's a, a great way to use them too and I love the idea of framing them how easy is that? And, and how many amazing square patterns, now they might not actually be granny squares, but you know, square motifs that are incredible. You've seen the patterns form on Ravelry and maybe you don't have the steam or the yarn to finish a full project framing that. I think that is such a cool idea. And I think it really celebrates the crochet, the art and, and the granny square. Because I think sometimes... I don't know about you, but when someone asks 
oh, what is it that you do? I I kind of go, oh, I don't quite know how to explain it. If I say crochet <laughs> designer, I, I, I don't kind of class myself as an artist because I don't have any qualifications. But it's like, it's more than a hobby. It's kind of in this awkward space in between. And only recently have I gone, you know what? Actually, I've worked hard at my craft and and crochet is amazing and it has so many wonderful benefits and I want to celebrate it. And so why not frame it on a wall? It doesn't have to be something that gets, you know, doesn't have to be a stereotypical blanket not that there's anything wrong with blankets at all but you know why not frame it and put it on the wall because it is art I think (laughs) yes I agree a hundred percent and I I really need to do that I have thought about it for a little while and I've got some bare spaces here in my office that could totally use a little bit more crochet we like to be surrounded by our stuff and I think that's a great practical use for something beautiful that doesn't take you a lot of time, that doesn't take a lot of yarn. And I think it's great. I'm totally going to do it. Yes. (laughs) Well, we look forward to seeing what you get up to. For sure. Yeah. I will have to play around with something unique. Now, I love a traditional granny square. I think it's a great square. It's easy. It's, It's one of those projects that you just sort of get into a groove and your hook just sort of does the work for you. But it just totally blows my mind to see some designers what they come up with and how they came up with that for example Sophie's universe is just oh, oh gosh, my yes. gosh it blows my mind <laughs> I don't understand how she did that and now she has the Ubuntu I'm probably totally not saying that right but yeah just so, so Deirdre, Deirdre Ace she's um she's from South Africa actually she lives in she the is. UK but yeah. she's South African and so the word that you're trying to say there is Ubuntu Oh, okay. And yeah, and Ubuntu, it actually means humanity, humanity towards others, togetherness. It's it's actually quite an important word in South African culture. So that's oh. a, it's cool that you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, and I have had her on the show before, and it was just, it was so interesting to sort of tap into that a little bit, but there is just a real talent and so much patience that comes into designing something so intricate and so beautiful and I know there's a lot of people who are participating in those cows and just think if you have a little bit of extra yarn take some of those motifs and just put them in a frame and put them on the wall I think that would be a great use yeah that'd be beautiful yes well this has been such a fun conversation I I really think that gosh it's just like a chat between two people who are crazy about yarn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how great is the internet I just I love that <laughs> right right we we probably would have never had the opportunity to connect so I'm I'm really grateful that you agreed to be here on the show and to share so much with the audience in terms of design and what inspires you and a little bit about how you got your start and how you've been resourceful with finding the tools that you need to do what you want to do I think there's Uh, That's just a wonderful and inspiring story that a lot of us needed to hear. And now I want to give people a chance to connect with you because you have some amazing work. You have a beautiful Instagram page. I would highly encourage anyone to follow you there just to see your gorgeous creations. So where is the best place for somebody to find you after hearing the show today? So the best place to probably connect and if you want to have a, a conversation, a digital one, I suppose, um, Instagram is probably where I hang out the most. Um, I 
love engaging with people through my stories and uh, through DMs and that, and also, of course, through comments on on pictures and things. Um, but I am also around on Facebook forward slash Thorsby Cottage. So it's Thorsby Cottage wherever on social media, um, Pinterest and all those places too. And then if you want to find out more about me and see my patterns, I've got free and paid patterns. I've got my blog, which is thorsbycottage.com. Wonderful. Okay. I will have that linked in the show notes as well. And I also want to highlight, since we we talked so much about granny squares, you have been a contributor to a couple of books, right? That are now available. Yeah. We're very excited about the two books um, coming out this year. So the first is The Ultimate Granny Square Source Book, which is... Um, published by Meteor Books. They are the same people that do the very well-known series uh, Zumigurumi. I don't know if you've heard of yeah. that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they've got together a collection of designers. I think there's 23 of us and about 100 designs. I could be wrong. Oh, wow. I should know this. Yeah. And they're all designed to mix and match. So they've been really thoroughly tested and can easily you know you can take two designs from one designer and another one from another designer and they will fit next to each other size wise it's a really beautiful book with all the details you need on how to do a granny square so or and a modern granny square with this yeah all sorts of designs there are there are animals so my contribution was uh, five african animals there's a lion zebra giraffe hippo and another one, elephant. But there are flowers, there are abstract squares, there's a whole host. I think you can actually see on the website, um, you can go and have a look at all the different squares in the book. So that's that one, and that's really exciting. Pre-orders for that have closed already, but it will be available in November, so right around when this will be airing, I think. And then the second book is uh, called 3D Granny Squares, 100 Crochet Patterns for Pop-Up Granny Squares. And the idea behind this book was exactly as the title says, Granny Squares that are 3D. Now, these are not, I don't want people to think that they're just a square that we've stuck an applique on top. That's not it at all. It's squares that have a 3D element built into the structure of the square. So, yeah, so that was a huge amount of fun and it was actually pretty challenging there was quite a short time window for the designs for this, but it's um, a collaboration between myself, Shana Moore of Sweet Shana on uh, Instagram and Celine Simon, so Crafty CC on Instagram as well. They're really well known there. And all of the designs are 3D or have a 3D element to it. And there's lots of different categories. So there's animals, there's flowers, there's abstract fruits and foods so things like a little waffle stitch granny square and yeah lots of just fun fun designs so that one hasn't been published yet it's coming out at the end of the year but I can I can give you some more details of that after the show and if people want to watch keep an eye out on my Instagram or through my newsletter they'll hear about it when it comes out. Wonderful. Yeah, I wanted to mention those because I, like I said, I know there are so many people who really, really enjoy making granny squares. And it sounds like the you've got a lot of options there. I know a hundred in one, and you said quite a few in the other one. So yeah, yeah. In sorry, in the in the second book, the three D granny squares. I think that's also a hundred. And um, 
it includes some projects as well. So some really creative ways to use your granny squares, um, which is a lot of fun. Very cool. Yes, I will definitely have the information in the show notes as soon as it is available. But of course, always having that backup of following you on Instagram. I'm sure you'll be posting about it there. So I will have your Instagram handle and that sort of thing over on the show notes. So you can head over there. And Katie, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. I'm really, really excited now about making a granny square and putting it in a, a frame. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for sharing so much with my audience today. Thank you. It's been really special to be here. All right, there you have it. That's Katie from Thorsby Cottage. Katie, thank you so much. It was so much fun chatting with you about yarn today, and I'm so glad we were able to capture that message for the world to hear. Now, if you're interested in granny squares like we are, and you maybe want to look into those two books that she mentioned here at the end, I will have all of that information linked in the show notes for this episode, which is behooked.com slash 140. Just type that into your browser, scroll down a little bit. You'll see a section called links and resources mentioned in this episode, and that's where you'll find it. I'll also have Katie's Instagram handle there so you can connect with her if you would like. Certainly follow her just so you can see her beautiful pictures. And I will also have her blog and her website up there in case you want to check out some of her patterns that she has available. One last thing before I go, I want to mention that today's episode was brought to you by my blueprint course, Tunisian Crochet for Beginners. This class is certainly one of those projects that I am incredibly proud of. It's helped a lot of people learn how to do Tunisian crochet and apply that in their crafty life. Sometimes we just need a little change of pace, right? Katie and I talked about that. I am certainly one of those people that really needs to shake things up a little bit. I love a routine and I really want to live by one. But every now and then I do need a change of pace. I do need to shake up that routine. And in terms of my craft, that's what Tunisian crochet is to me. Now crochet is my first love. I always go to that first but sometimes when I find myself not super thrilled with the project that I'm creating, sometimes I just need to put it down, walk away for a little bit, and I'll typically pick up my Tunisian crochet hook and work through a different type of project. The motions and the stitches are just different enough to make me feel like I'm doing something completely different, but it's still close to home. I'm still using a crochet hook, I'm still creating with my hands, and that's why I love it so much. It's also why I spent so much time putting this course together with Blueprint so that I could teach you how to do this part of the craft if it's something that you're interested in as well. So Tunisian Crochet for Beginners, as I mentioned, is available on Blueprint's website. So if you head over to behooked.com TCFB, that will redirect you to Blueprint's website where you can find out the details of that course. A lot of times they have some sales going on and that sort of thing. On that page, you'll also see the full curriculum so you know exactly what you're getting into before you sign up for the course. And if you have any questions, please let me know. You can always leave those in the comments section on the show notes page. Now, I also wanna say a humongous thank you to all of you who are leaving an honest rating and a review in iTunes. That really helps the show, first of all. It tells iTunes that this is a podcast worth listening to. And by the way, this podcast is creeping up on the charts for hobbies. Like hobbies as a whole 
This podcast is hovering around position 50, which is a huge deal. There are a ton of hobbies and there are a ton of podcasts about hobbies. So seeing that this past week made me want to do cartwheels all over the house. I was so excited and you helped make that possible. It also helps me. It lets me know that I'm on the right track. It gives you the opportunity to tell me ways that I can potentially improve and serve you better. And so I just want to say thank you for all of that. Now, I wanted to make it really easy for you to leave a rating or review in iTunes. So if you have some time today, you have something to share and you want to do that, if you type in behooked.com slash iTunes into your browser, that will take you directly to this podcast in iTunes where you can leave that honest rating and a review. So thank you so much for that. And I look forward to serving you in next week's episode of the Be Hooked podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye.